Father, in the quiet of this room, we just pray that you would give us some perspective on who we are. Be real honest today, God. There are so many different feelings in the room today. There are people in the room who are kicking the tires on this thing, trying to see what's real, what's true. People are being real honest about it. God, we just want to be clear today that we, some of us are just doubting. And we know that you're big enough to handle that. So would you calm our hearts today as we look for truth? God, there's a lot of us in this place today who have been going to church for a long time and we've just kind of been mailing it in a little bit, just acting like uh, we believe things that we don't and we live things that we don't. And God, we just pray right now that we'd, you'd be real honest with us, that we could clear up our hearts. Father, there's broken hearts in the room today. There's full hearts. In every instance, God, today, would you move us? We'll just kind of stagger away from here with an obvious word from the creator of the universe. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So glad you're here. Excited about um, this week's message. Basically, what we've been doing, if you're visiting with us, um, even if you're not, maybe you've kind of lost track a little bit. We've been going through a series called The Story. Um, it's a book that looks just like that. And the idea is that it, this is our 16th week. Did you know that? We've been going through this 16th week. 16 weeks, we're about halfway through. Um, it seems... Somehow it seems a little like it's, it's gone pretty fast. Um, but uh, 16 straight weeks we've been going through this book, one chapter at a time. And here's why we've been doing it. 17, 18 weeks ago, we, we came together and I heard a lot from you and I heard a lot from our leadership that said, you know what, the Bible is hard to read. It's hard to understand. Um, sometimes it feels like it doesn't apply to my life. Sometimes it's so hard to read that I just kind of gloss over things. And so we found this book called The Story. And other churches have gone through this um, the way we have. But basically what this book does is it puts the Bible in chronological order from beginning to end. And it tells one big story. It reads kind of like a novel. Um, and a lot of us have been really excited about this. It has answered some questions. But here's the thing that I love about it. It has actually surfaced more questions than it's answered. <laughs> and I think that is a really good thing. I do think, though, I think there are some of us that pick the book up and think, I'm going to understand the entire Bible when I read this thing. And the truth is, you're not. There, it's going to surface some questions, and then there are some questions that just aren't, like I said last week, aren't ever going to be answered until we can see God face to face and say, what in the world was that? Um, but there are some really important things that we want to do through this, and we are in a story today that many of you have heard. Um, I'm really excited about uh, getting to tell this story. Almost, I thought about having the kids downstairs today because it's so much of a fun story, but uh, I didn't get it done in time, and they're going to have more fun upstairs anyway. Um, but uh, today's story is about David and Goliath. And um, if you're not careful, I want to start this the way I've started all, all the stories, um, the Bible stories. If you've heard the story in David and Goliath, my guess is if you've just heard it and you haven't dug into it very much, you have Disneyized it. <laughs> you know, you have made it really cartoonish in your mind. Because this is what we do, and this is how we used to tell stories about the Bible. We made it bigger than life. We made Noah's Ark with animals' necks sticking out the windows. And, and we, we kind of Disneyized it. And in some ways, it helped our kids get the story. But as adults, we, the older we get, the more we start thinking of this thing as fantasy. We think of it as a cartoon. So what I want you to do today, if you can possibly do this, especially if you've heard the story of David and Goliath over and over and over again, I want you to kind of like format your hard drive a little bit when it comes to this today. Just kind of restart it. See if you can, can kind of restart your understanding of David and Goliath. I'm going to tell you some, some history. I'm going to tell you some things you've never heard about um, David and Goliath today. And uh, then I'm going to apply it to your life. 
And here's the way um, that God intends for us to read this story. He says um, that uh, his story, his big story, from the creation of time through the people that he chose to represent him on the earth, all the way through Jesus in in that whole part of the story, God has been telling a story with your life as well. He, He intends for you to be a part of it. Some of you got little babies in here. Some of you got little babies on the way. Some of you got little babies at different parts of their life, uh, parts of your life. You can see their story developing. In fact, the cool thing about parenting, and, and I'm starting to get this too. I've got a, um, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old um, up there today, and I, I, re- I remember my dad when I was a kid saying things like, "Someday you will do this. Someday you'll see. Someday you'll have this. Someday you'll understand this. Someday." And I'll think, "How do you know?" You're not a soothsayer. You, you don't, you can't, there's no crystal ball. And I think I even said some things like that in high school. Dad, you don't know me. And then it happens and I go, whew, Dad knows me. And, and I'm doing it to my kids now. I'm saying things like, someday, London, someday you're going to be really glad that you memorized Luke chapter 2 of the New Testament. Someday, right now it just seems like something you're doing for school. Someday you're going to be so glad that you're memorizing Scripture. Someday, you're going to be so glad that you've started a habit of brushing your teeth every night. And they go, no, every night. We did say, no, can we skip toothbrushing tonight? And some nights, if Rich is not home, I go, yeah, we can skip it. If Rich is home, we don't skip toothbrushing. <laughs> and we say, someday you're going to be so glad because when you're 28 years old or you're 34 years old and you go to the dentist and he goes, man, if you'd have just had a habit of brushing your teeth, you wouldn't have false teeth by age 38 you know? Someday you're going to be glad. And here's the thing about it. As a parent, I can look down at my kid's story. I I want you to get this today because this is a little picture of God. I can look down at my kid's life story and I can say, you will someday feel like this. You'll someday have this problem. You'll someday deal with this. And right now, I can see what's going on in their lives. And when they're going through an awful time, London's going through gymnastics right now, and it hurts. (laughs) She's at a competitive level in gymnastics. She's only seven years old, and it's kind of, sometimes it's hard as parents. We're going seven, and she's like doing, doing push-ups and sit-ups, and she's, she comes home, and her stomach hurts because she's been like, yeah, that's your abs, and daddy doesn't have those anymore, but, you know, that's what. Um, and, and, you know, there's this part of me that goes, when I go to bed, this is so good for London to have to deal with something hard to have to keep going the next day, and I can see it in her. And here's the thing about God. He sees the story, and he sees the people, all the people in the Bible. He sees your life right now the same way. Because that junk you're going through right now, I hate it, I cry with you, I bleed with you, but someday, someday it will develop something in you, and you will be so glad. Maybe not glad that that thing happened or that you had to go through that, but glad that you have that new characteristic that you developed Because of that, I don't know what Tori's going to be when she grows up. I mean, I can't imagine. She might be better than Taylor Swift now, if you ask me. (laughs) I don't know what she's going to be, but I can tell you, she'll never forget what's gone on in the past year and a half. And her family and her life, the way you've loved her, the way you've treated her. And I'm telling you right now, there's things going on in your life, and you're going, God, I don't understand, I don't know why. And he looks at us the same way I'm talking to my, my kids, and he says... Someday, someday you'll see. And as we go through this story and all these stories throughout the Bible, they put together one picture at a time where we can be able to go, David, you're going through this awful time, but someday you're going to see that it makes you the kind of person that God needs 
for this point in history. Last week, we met a man named Samuel who, um, who was a, a, a prophet of sorts. He was, a, he was a guy that God basically said at that point in history, God said, I want you to speak on behalf of me to all my people. I want you to tell them um, what I need to tell them. Now, it's different than what he's doing through me this morning. Um, at that point in history, you couldn't come to God um, without a priest or without somebody to kind of intermediate. I want you to know this morning, I ain't a priest. <laughs> and the way we believe around here, you don't need a priest. That what we believe is that God sent Jesus, who came after this story, and when he sent Jesus, he made it so that you can go to him any time. That means at the deepest, darkest point of your life, that means on Friday night when you had too many to drink and you made some bad decisions, you can go to him then. That means in the middle of your distress, you can go to him then. You don't need to be here. You don't need to be with me. At this point in history, Samuel was the guy that God said, if you want to hear from me, Sam's going to say it. Okay? So Sam would get up in front of everybody, and he would speak on behalf of God which is an incredible thing. And God says to Samuel, you're going you're to anoint a new king of Israel, of my people. Now God, had, in this story up till now, if you don't have one of these books, come see me, I'll get you one. Um, but in this story up to now, we know that God has chosen a group of people called the Israelites. And he's not chosen because they're good or they're smart or they're strong or they're big. In fact, they're really pretty bad and dumb and small and weird and keep making the bad choices over and over again. I don't think that God uses the Israelites story in spite of that. I think he chose them because of that. To say to us, I don't look at the things that other people look at. I look at the heart, other people look at the outside. It's an amazing part of this story that we're reading today. So God has this group of Israelites, and he says, you're going to live differently than the rest of the world. I'm going to be your king. There's ten rules that you're going to have, and it's going to change the course of history. You're going to be a part of that, and the world's going to see me through you. So he, he, he elected a first king named Saul, which we read about last week, and King Saul did some really great things at first and ended up drifting into some really bad things. And you know what drifting feels like. You know, we talk a lot about discipline. And uh, I read this week that in February, the first week of February of every year since like 1950-something is the lightest, in in terms of weight, the lightest America is. Um, we, We are the lightest nation on February 1st because of all the New Year's resolutions we make about losing weight. We make it one month. And by March, we weigh as much as we did in November of the past year because we just drop it. We just forget it. And so what happens is with that, and you know that Risha and I are doing this now, we're, we're losing weight again and we're feeling good and we're, and we're on this discipline kick. And here's the thing about it. When I am disciplined with my food, I become disciplined with my exercise a little. It's a little easy. And when I become disciplined with my exercise, I start going, man, I need, to, I need a little more quiet time every day. And that starts to, and it starts to snowball. And what happens is you begin to be, get intentional about your life. You say, this is the person I want to be, and here are the steps that I'm going to take to get there. Now, here's what the Bible tells us over and over and over, and it's exactly true of you today. And if you've kind of fallen asleep a little bit, wake up here. If you don't hear anything else, you need to hear this this morning. Here's part of what you're going to see in this story, that you can start with the best intentions. You can start January and say, here's the person I want to be by the end of the year. But if you don't have a plan to get there, you will drift into somebody you never imagined you would be. So intentions aren't enough. Saying, I want to be good looking, I want to be great. I I mentioned um, this morning to RJ, you shake RJ's hand over here. I don't know if you've shaken RJ's hand, but it's like he's just solid rock, you know. And every time I shake his hand, I'm like, man, someday I'm going to be like that, you know. (laughs) 
And I said, someday I'm going to be as strong and as tough as you. And he goes, come work with me for two weeks and we'll see. And I'm like, you know what? I'm all right. I'm all right being puffy, you know? Because the truth is I can, I can set out to be strong and tough and big. I can set out to make better decisions. I can set out to be a good dad, a good husband. In fact, I, I think sometimes through when London was born and I washed, I gave her her first bath and all the things I felt that day. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I remember thinking that day and now I look back and go, Phew. I remember thinking that day, there is not ever going to be another dad like me. I don't care. There is never, I'm going to be the Mother Teresa of dads. I'm going to be the Rocky Balboa of dads. I'm going to be the best dad there ever was. I'm going to be the smartest guy. I'm going to quit sinning. Somebody someday is going to go, remember when London was born? That was the last day John sinned. He's, he'll never sin after that. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit making mistakes in my life. Everything's going to change this day. And you know what? It didn't last very long. Truthfully, I look back at it and I go, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm getting better, but I'm not even close to what I wanted to be. And here's the problem. And here's what happened to the first king of Israel. He started off and he said, God is in charge and I'm going to live like God is in charge. I'm going to be God's representative to my people. I'm going to be the best dad. I'm going to be the best king. I'm going to be the best man. I'm going to represent God. And then they drove his limo up. And he got in it and life got cushy. You know? And he slowly drifted into being a man that he would have never imagined he'd become. It's funny how quiet it gets in here right now. You don't care about Saul, but you know what I'm talking about. I see it in your life and in your heart right now. You go, yeah, there are things I did. I can't believe where I've ended up in my life. I want to let you know that part of the story, part of reading the Bible, is to look at a life and go, I need a plan. I need something to do that will get me from where I am today to where I want to be. If you don't have that today, let me tell you where you'll end up. You'll drift into being the person you don't want to be. I promise. It's life. It's human life. You can't drift into being a great dad and a great husband because it's too hard. But when you take steps, a lot of them begin with God's steps, you find out that God has a plan that makes sense. So check out this next slide. So basically what happens, King Saul drifts. He drifts so far that he ends up being an enemy of God, basically. He ends up living for himself, being all about himself. He thinks the world is about him all of a sudden. And the guy that started his whole thing, like I did with London, saying I'm going to be the best there ever was, now finds himself years later going, who am I? And he even says it a couple times in the story. This is not who I want to be. And you see him, he's almost like schizophrenic. At times he makes these great choices and he says these wonderful things to God. And the next moment, he is totally an opposite person. You know what I'm saying? And God says, I can't have a leader like that. It's a good lesson for preachers. I think it's a great lesson for preachers. As a preacher, I better know where I'm going. If I'm going to lead, if I'm, people are going to be following me in some way, even if I'm just going to be standing up here talking about what I read this week, I better be moving forward. I don't have to be good. I don't have to be great. I don't have to be the best preacher there ever was, the best husband, the best dad, but I better be better tomorrow than I am today, and I better have a plan to get there. 1 Samuel 16, 7. God said to Samuel, don't consider, I don't consider the same thing that everybody else considers. See, here's what happened. Samuel gets told by God, he's getting old now, and he gets told by God, hey, Samuel, there's going to be a new king. Samuel's like, oh, man, I've got to do this all over again. I've got to anoint a new king. I've got to share him to the people. And God goes, yep, there's going to be a new king. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find a man named Jesse. Now, not Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard. Don't get that in your mind. 
not Uncle Jesse. I want you to find a man named Jesse. He's got a bunch of sons, and one of them is going to be king. You need to go and, and anoint him as king and tell his dad and his family and him that he's going to be king. So here's what happens. Samuel goes in. He finds a man named Jesse, and he, he says, I, 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 God says that one of your sons is going to be king. And Jesse kind of does what any dad would do and go, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Good kids, smart kids, tough kids. Let me, let me just bring them out here. Now, here's the thing. Jesse has seven sons, and he has six of them in the house. One of them is out in the field. One of them is way out in the field, and Jesse goes, so here are all my sons. In Jesse's mind, these are the only sons that could be king. Now, this is a great lesson if you're a parent today. Jesse messed it up. Because here's what happened. The first guy comes out in front of, of, Saul, of uh, Samuel and Jesse, and, I mean, he's, you know, he's tough. He's strong. He's built like RJ, and he's, like, he's, just, he's a tough guy. He's a great-looking guy. He's taller. The Bible says that he's taller than everybody else. And there's this thing that happens in that day where people tend to look at the outside before they look at the inside. I'm glad we're way away from that now in our culture. But <laughs> at that point in history, people would look at somebody from across the room and decide they're better than that person. Can you imagine how awful that is? That's what we still do. We haven't got any better, have we? I, we haven't got any better at all. In fact, it's probably gotten worse. But even Samuel, as close as he is to God, this guy walks in, he's so good looking, he's so smart, he's so charismatic, he's so tall, which was awesome in that day and age. He walks in the room and Samuel goes, first guy, this is our new king. I mean, there's almost this time where Samuel goes, oh, here he is, our king. And God goes, "Uh uh-uh. And there's almost this conversation, if you read it, um, if you read this week, and if you haven't, you've got to go back to 1 Samuel and read this. But what's this conversation between God and Samuel where he's like, dude, God goes, dude, seriously, you thought you were going to walk into the house and the first guy that was good looking was the king? You don't know me at all. All this time you don't know me. And here's what God says. If you're here today and you're like me and you're like, every time you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, come on. You know, like seriously, every day I find something else. I'm just like, come on, this won't go away. And uh, just like, I, come on, God, what? If you're like that, and I'm not looking in any general direction, okay? If you're like that today, this piece of scripture is for you. It's for me. This should be, in fact, you know what? This should be uh, post-it noted on your mirror in your house if you have a self-esteem issue. Check this out. Here's what God says. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. Now, I've rejected him as king, not as a human being, but I've rejected him as king. The Lord, look at this. Here it is right here. This is what goes on your mirror. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is how God chooses those that lead. So they bring the next boy in. And the next boy in, and the next boy in, and the next boy in, and they're all good-looking, tough, strong, tall guys. And every one of them, Samuel's close enough to God that he's going, all right, God, this guy's pretty good-looking, but I don't know. You know, I give him a six on the ten. And God goes, did you not hear what I just said? I'm not looking at him outside. I'm looking at his heart. And finally, they get through all the boys except the one in the field. And Samuel goes, man, I'm confused here, Jesse, because God says none of these guys are the guy. You ever, you ever watch the Cinderella story, ever read the Cinderella story? Does this feel a little like Cinderella to you? Like you're trying the shoe on each one of the pretty girls. And finally, 
Samuel goes, Jesse, is this all you got? Because God says it's coming from this, from this group of people. And, and Jesse, oh, gone. Jesse forgets a son. Don't let that happen with your family. Please. Jesse forgot about a son. And he, oh, yeah, blah, David. I got a little guy out in the field. We can bring him in, see if he knows anybody that might be king. I mean, at this point, he still doesn't get that it's his son. He's still judging the outward appearance. So David comes in, and God goes, Oh, this is your man. You mean this little scrawny kid, young kid, is the next king? God goes, yep, anoint him. And so Samuel would have had a big horn full of oil, and he would have poured it on his head, and it was just this ceremonial thing to say, you are the king. You are, you are called by God to be the next king. Very cool picture of what happens. I don't know if you ever, uh, if you ever had this experience, but when I was in junior high, I wasn't the strong, strapping athlete that I am today. Um, I was a pretty, I was like 100 pounds dripping wet, and um, we played basketball, and I loved to play basketball, and I was the last one picked a lot. You know, that, that cliche of the last one picked. You know what I, I think about David? If he were on a basketball court or a dodgeball court, he'd have been the last one picked by people and the first one picked by God. It reminds me of something God says early, uh, later on in the story. Jesus talks to a whole group of people, and he says, you know what? In God's world, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. That means the guy in Bloomington or the guy in Indianapolis that pulls up in a limo next to the guy holding a sign that says, we'll work for food, when they get to God's kingdom, if they both end up there, they're going to switch positions. That's who God is. Uh, this is huge. Don't miss this. This is the first time that we see uh, that part of God, really, saying, I'm going to pick the last person that you would believe. In fact, later on in the story when Jesus comes, he talks about how we become last. <laughs> all the rest of the teachers, all the rest of the religions, all the rest of the people were talking about how to become first. In fact, if you are a Christian today and you're like me, you like to read or you like to watch Christian things like preachers and teachers, and I, liked, I watch it because I like to steal their stuff. Um, but maybe you, maybe you just kind of get into that stuff and you ever pick up a book by a Christian author who it feels like is trying to make you become first in life. You see this a lot. Preachers that say, if you become a Christian, you'll be rich. If you become a Christian, you'll be this or you'll be that. If you become a Christian, you'll take a next step on the wrong. You take that book and you go get your money back immediately because it's not from God. That's not who God is. God constantly says that what he wants most is people with a heart who are going to put themselves below other people. You keep moving down the list. You keep serving. Next slide. And then there's this time in the story that some of you are in in your stories right now where David's this little pipsqueak. And here's what happens. The king of Israel gets oil all over him. He goes through this incredible thing. His brothers are like, Pfft the whole thing. His dad goes, and now his dad's going, I knew it. I always knew David was going to be king. I, t I told his mom one time when he was six that this is the king of Israel. You know, and, and all of a sudden, Jesse is in love with David, and you know how that goes. Guess what David does next? He gets his bottom end right back out there and tends sheep. I don't know how long. 
We don't really know how long, but we know it was a while. The king of Israel went right back to the sheep pen. Now, why would God have done that? As you're reading the story, don't you go, now, wouldn't he just start prepping him as king? Wouldn't he go ahead and move into the palace, start living like a king? No, I think there's this thing that God wants to tell in his story, and he wants to tell in your story too, and it kills me. It's one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn in my life. And that is this, that every good thing comes over time. That when, when, when something happens quick, you know, I, I, I know people like this that, that rise up quick in an organization or that come to the church and they decide, you know what, I'm going to give my entire life to the church. I'm going to start serving 90% of the things. Everything that pops up, I'm, I want to do that, I want to do that, I want to do that, I want to do that. We call those fireworks. You know why? Because they start off big, they explode, and they go away. That's what happens. And that's kind of what happens in life. When it comes quick, when it happens now, when, when you're praying for something and you go, God, I want it now, I want a new job, I want a new house, I want a new car, I want a new woman, I want a, whatever it is, God goes, wait. Not because he's trying to teach you patience, but because there is this thing in the universe that gets better with time. It's what wine does. It's what marriage does. It's what friendship does. It's what a relationship with God does. And so we get to watch David wait. Like watching paint dry a little bit. And we don't know how long David waited, but there was a moment in time where he couldn't wait anymore. And this is one of the best stories, not just in the Bible, one of the best stories in history. I got to tell you about this little side note real quick. I went and saw a movie yesterday. They had a trailer for the Bible on the History Channel. Have you seen this? The Bible is coming to the History Channel. If you don't have cable or satellite, um, I'm going to record it. We're probably going to do something here at the church with it. Unbelievable. They're taking, it starts March 3rd on the History Channel. They're taking the Bible. They're telling every story of the Bible in chronological order. Ah! That's right where we are. And it's a movie. It's not like a documentary where a guy's going, and then Moses went to, it's a movie, dialogue, crazy battles. It's going to be awesome. An incredible thing. And as we go throughout this whole story, I don't think there is going to be a better moment in that movie and in that film series than this story. Here's what happened. At this point in history, battles were fought much different than they are now. There weren't tanks and there weren't flyovers. <laughs> there was no splitting of the atom. There were no bombs. It was just man against man. They had spears. They had swords, no guns. And they just, it was bloody and gross and awful. And they fought differently. And so at this point in history, Israel and Palestine were like enemies. When I read it, I think of Indiana and Purdue. I'm, a, I'm an Indiana basketball fan. And if you're a Boilermaker, it's okay. I'm glad you're here. God forgives everything. Um, but uh, no. But so you got, you got Indiana and Purdue, and they come together. And this is what battles did at this time. You got Israel, and you got Palestine. They come together, and they are rivals. And they stand there and look at each other. For sometimes days, sometimes months, in this case, 40 days, they just stayed there looking at each other. And in this place, they were, one was on a hill, the other one was on a hill, and there was a valley in between them. And a man named Goliath, who if you're not careful, you begin to think exaggerated things about Goliath. But here's the thing about Goliath. Bible says he was nine and a half feet tall, somewhere around that. And there are other people in that era and that time that were that size as well whole bunch of theories about where Goliath came from. There were sects of people, different groups of people who were that big. 
Okay, so this is not just a guy that God plopped down in the story to be big and scary. This is a man who was probably found by the Philistines at one point, probably raided a village, killed all these people, and went, holy cow, look at that dude. He's going to work for us. Okay, so they shaped him, they built him, they probably made him a really important part of their army, and he would come out every day. If you read this story, it is crazy. It's like trash talking in the NBA. He'd come out every morning, and he would wear this incredible suit of armor that was bigger than all the rest of the armies, all the people that are in the armies. His suit weighed more than the rest of the people on the other side of the armies. It's crazy. And he came in, he, the Bible says um, that he had a, a, the spear, just the spear on his, uh, or just the, the arrow on the spear was five pounds. It's like holding a bag of sugar out on a stick. I, I don't think I could carry that thing. He carried it everywhere he went. He had this huge armor. He was an enormous man. He'd come out, and in a loud, deep voice, he would say, I challenge the Israelites and their God. <laughs> That's scary. And anyone who can beat me, if you beat me today, the Philistines will serve, will become the slaves, will become the servants of the Israelites. Woo. But if, we beat, if I beat them, then the Israelites become our slaves. This is a great deal for the commanders. And this is part of the reason you go, well, why didn't they just fight? They get to the hill. Why not just jump on each other? This is part of the reason. Because if I can win a battle, if I have a chance as a general, as a king, of winning a battle without losing any men, maybe all I have to do is send one guy across. i got a 50-50 chance of, of beating him. I, 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 this is a wonderful opportunity. So they kept trying. And King Saul just kept asking people, hey, you're a big dude. Go fight Goliath. No way, man, not me. Forty days they did this, and every day Goliath would come out, and he would yell, come on out, and he'd call them names, he did trash talking, I mean, it was nuts. And they begin to fuel, and here's the thing, don't miss this in the story, that the giant, that Goliath, completely had the advantage, humanly, okay? There is nothing, some people say, man, uh, shepherds at that point in history, were the best with a slingshot around. Come on. All right, maybe he was pretty good with a slingshot. You, you really want to pit them against each other? No. You're missing the point. Here, there, David is way overmatched. When he comes in, he brings food to his brothers. At this point in history in battles, families had to feed their, their, anybody that was in the battle. They didn't have food available for the soldiers, so they would send somebody out if the battle was close, and they would actually, so David's bringing food to his brothers who are in the battle. He brings food, and he happens to get there when Goliath comes out, and Goliath says something that really makes David mad. This kind of anger that David has, it's holy anger. It's an anger about God, not about himself. At this point, Goliath starts making fun of God the God of the Israelites. And he starts making fun of the people because they apparently don't have much faith in their God. So David brings the food to his brothers and he goes back to King Saul and he says, what's going on with this? Why not send somebody out? Doesn't, don't you guys all know that the God of the universe is on your side? Who's scared with the God of the universe on your side? Who's scared when God, we know God, we've seen what God does. We've seen him split the waters of the earth. We've seen him bring in floods. We've seen him do things that are absolutely miraculous on our behalf. Why are you scared of a big fat dude coming out and yelling at us? This little tiny young dude talks King Saul into letting him fight Goliath. Now, David's brothers were embarrassed. 
They were mad at David for a lot of reasons. I think they were jealous. They felt stupid now. Not only does David get chosen for king, but now he's going to come out and show us up. David goes out and King Saul says, finally, I don't know how he talks him into it, but David says, I'll go out. I'll prove how big God is. Not how good I am with a slingshot. Make sure you read that. Not how smart I am, not how good I am, not how tough I am, not how strong I am, but how big God is. Even me, even me, I love the phrase David uses, even me. Man, I think when God hears that in our lives, when I think when God hears God, I know you can use even me. It's almost like God's doing a lot of things and he goes, huh, what did you say? I said, God, even in, my me- even in my mess, even though I'm not the person that I should be, even though I'm not strong, even though, I, even though it's not me, God, would you just, would you make this happen in my life? Would you use me to do something big? God goes, yes. That's what he does with David. There's this amazing scene where David goes into Saul, and Saul says, well, you're not going out there without armor on. And David's like, all right, I've never worn an armor before. And this is a funny part. I can't wait to see how the History Channel che- treats this in the movie. This is a really funny part of the Bible where Saul puts his armor on David and it says that the, the, the weight of the armor is the same as David's weight. <laughs> so it weighs like 125 pounds. David weighs 125 pounds. And he's standing there in Saul's armor. Saul's a really tall guy, really big guy. And, I mean, it would be like me wearing RJ's armor, you know. I'd come out looking like this, you know, just hanging on him. And he can barely walk. You know, he's just doing this. And he's trying to use a spear and he, the, the shield's up and he's, you know, no. I don't need any of this. So he takes it all off. And he goes down to the river and he gets five smooth stones. You've heard this before. Five smooth stones. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons people think he got five smooth stones. Uh, Honestly, I can give you about eight of them that people, all these religious reasons and these philosophical and theological reasons that David picked five smooth stones. You know why I think he picked five smooth stones? Because we read in in another uh, history book, not just the Bible, Read in Josephus' works that David, uh, or that Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> That's why I think he picked five stones. I also think that David had used the slingshot before, and no, he might miss the first time. Okay, so I got plenty of options here. It's like showing up for a gunfight with only one bullet. I might have a lot of confidence, but let's not be stupid, okay? So uh, let's not over theologize this thing. Let's not overthink this thing. David's just smart. He picks up five stones. He puts them in, probably real smooth stones. You know, he picks them specifically, puts them in his pouch, takes his sling, and walks towards the big dude. I love this. There is this moment where David talks to Saul. And Saul says, one more time, man. You're not going out there with any armor on. What are you doing? You're making us look stupid, but for some reason I feel, what are you doing? And David says something that is amazing. He says, God has done this before for me. One time a bear attacked me, and I killed it. Another time, a lion attacked me, and I killed it. At this point in history in this region, there were lions and bears everywhere, and if you were, a, if you were around shep, if you were the sheep, they were obviously trying to get a good meal. And David, part of David's job was to, to keep the sheep, and he would, this wasn't his first rodeo. And he says, look at me. I, I'm, I couldn't defend myself like that against these animals. God protected me against, I love this phrase, God protected me against the jaws of the lion and the paws of the bear. He will protect me against any hand of any Philistine. And he says it so strong and so tough. 
It's like John Wayne and Big Jake. You know? You've seen that movie at the end? John Wayne says to the villain, there's guys that are all pointing each other at guns, and John Wayne says, I'm going to kill you. And the guy goes, how are you going to do that? There's guys all around you. He goes, I might get shot. That guy might shoot that guy. This guy might shoot that guy. This guy might shoot that guy. But I'm going to kill you. And his eyes get real big. There is this moment of toughness in David at 125 pounds, dripping wet. He looks at the king Saul and he goes, this ain't my first time. God is on our side. King Saul goes, whew, go. Man, this is good, isn't it? Gosh. So here it comes. David walks out. People start laughing. Of course they start laughing. I mean, look at this scene. Picture this thing. Nine and a half feet tall this dude is. Full of armor. His armor weighs three times as much as the dude himself. He's got a spear. Also, Goliath, in the Bible we read, Goliath has a man, a little guy, who holds his shield for him. That's all his job is. How would you like to have that job? You're going to be the shield holder for the big dude. Uh, Okay, that's his job. Two hands, hold it in front of the giant, okay? So David walks out with this whole big thing. David walks out with a slingshot. I think of my old PE teacher. who's a little tiny guy, five foot tall. He took his whistle and had a little rope on it, and he used to do that through all gym class. That's what I think of David, walking out there with a sling, kind of just playing. He walks up to Goliath and kind of gives it one of these. And they start laughing. And Goliath starts trash-talking. And he says this. Look at this. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. David looks at Goliath in that John Wayne kind of stare. And he says, I wish he would say, I'm going to kill you. And he pretty much does. You come against me with the sword and the spear and a javelin. You got the little dude with the shield. You got all this armor. You got a big mouth and a big body. But I got more. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Every time you see in the Bible the Lord spelled out in capitals, that's the name Yahweh. It's a scary word. It scares the people who even God's on their side, but it also scares the other side because they know what the God of Israel has done to other armies. I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. You see what David says? Is You've got to read this closely. David says, you see this thing back here behind me? This is an army. God has armies. He has more than this. He has the wind. He has the water, he has the fire, he has the storms. He has spiritual things that are going on. There is so much more to God than this army behind me and the army behind you. He's on my side. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to kill you. And I'll strike you down and cut off your Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine armies to the birds. I'm saying it tougher than he would. Today, I'm going to give the Philistine armies to the birds. I mean, the dude's voice hasn't changed yet. The birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that David is tough. 
The whole world will know that David's good with the slingshot. The whole world will know that a 125-pound kid killed a big dude. No, this is a huge turning point. I believe if at that moment David would have had in his heart that he was the one with the slingshot, that he was the one with the power, this would have gone a lot different. But when he says what he says, he harnesses the power of the creator of the universe. Did you get a little cold chill there? Because here's the thing. I'm going to get there in a minute, but I'm going to tell you this. You have it in you to harness the power of the creator of the universe against your stupid giant. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword of the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is God's. And he will give all of you into our hands. And by the way, Goliath, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> now, historians would tell you at this point in history that Goliath is still laughing. And a lot of people talk about this, that at this point, Goliath, all the way up to the point that the, 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 the rock hits Goliath on the head, that he's going, <laughs> this big jovial well. I don't think so. I think, I think Goliath probably would have seen something in this little boy that scared the armor off of him. He probably wet his armor. That's what happens when you're in the face of the creator of the universe, and you know it. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you just go, holy cow, there is a God. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just a specific. You just go, I'm, I'm little and he's big. and whew. I think Goliath probably had one of those moments. But it didn't last very long. David, the Bible says, David didn't take a step back and go, what am I doing? David ran towards the giant. He put a stone in a sling. He whipped it around a couple times. He let it go. And on the armor of these, of these Philistines at this point, it would have covered everything but a place right here down the middle of their face mask so that they could breathe with their nose and a little hole right here in their helmet. Dave was a pretty good shot. He would have had a stone about the size of a tennis ball. Would have had to fit perfectly in that hole. He hit, Dave, or he hit Goliath and the man came and when he did, David did something that set him apart from all the kings that Israel had ever had. He said, this is God's battle. This is God's win. It's not me. Then he took over. He went over and he got the sword of Goliath. I wish they would let me produce the movie because I got it, you know? <laughs> if any of you have connections, hook me up, will you? Because I got this. He picked up the sword, and I picture David taking Goliath's sword. It's one of the worst, most offensive things you can do to your enemy, is use their own sword to lop their head off. It's, at this point in history, it's like spitting on their carcass. It's one of the worst things you can do. He rips Goliath's sword out, and I have the picture. I totally got this. He, I have the picture of him like barely being able to lift Goliath's sword. You know, He kind of gets it up, and he gets kind of momentum, and he goes, <laughs> and there is this gasp among the Philistines. More importantly, there's a gasp among the Israelites. They all know God is in charge of us. Okay, if you haven't made this application yet, I'm going to do it right in your face. Okay, here it is. Next slide. You and David. One more slide there, Tanya. Okay. All right, that's okay. So here's the thing about you and David. And this story. 
Um, there you go. Oh, back one. There you go. As you're facing your giants, here's the, here's the application to your story. We all have giants. There's addictions in the room. There's total messed up families in the room. There is messed up lives in the room. There is things that aren't your control that are in the room. And let me tell you, this is the God honest truth. You may not read this in some of the books, but I'm going to tell you straight up. You are outnumbered. You are. You, you might as well, whatever you're facing today, if you're trying to face it by yourself with your own slingshot and your own armor and your own way, I want to let you know today you're outnumbered. That's what the Bible says. That the enemy, Satan, is out to destroy. He's not out to just distract, he's out to destroy. And you're outnumbered, just like David was. And if you're here today and you've got these giants in your life that are causing depression, they're causing anxiety, causing frustration, they're causing you to be a person that you would have never believed you would be, here's David's lesson to you. The first is get up. Get up. One of the things David did was he stood up. He said, I'll be the one. I will stand against this. Some of you are waiting for something to happen. I know it. I've seen it. I've known you for six years. And the whole time you're going, why hasn't God done something? He's waiting for you to get up. You need to stand up. You need to stand up to your giant. One of the things I love about this story is that David didn't just walk to the giant. He ran. Today, I can't think of anything else. I've been praying this for you, specifically for some of you, that as you think about your giant, you don't go, well, maybe I'll tiptoe towards it. I'm, I'm going. And I'm going to kill you. Not by my power, but by the creator of the universe. David got up. David got prepared. He went and he got his stones. You know what I, I love? I love the thought. I wish we had a ministry here called Five Smooth Stones. For those of us who are broken, who are looking for a way to beat our giants. David had a plan. And if you just step towards it and you don't have a plan, you're going to be in, shape, in bad shape, okay? But if you step towards it with a plan, you're going in the direction that David did. Get prepared. And finally, get perspective. It's not your battle. That if you can say, if you can harness the power of God in you the way David did, you can lop the head off of your giant. Next slide. David said this in the middle of this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defy the armies of the living God? You know what? There is a picture that God has for your life that is full of peace and hope and joy. Every one of you in this place right now is full of peace and hope and joy. There is a picture that God has for that in your life. And if those giants in your life that are keeping that from happening are defying the plan of God and it angers him deeply. Seeing God in the battle is what's most important today because it's God's battle. Next slide. The Lord who rescued me. This is David's comment to Saul. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. Write that down today. Write that down today. If you're dealing with this giant, you're going, ah, no, you don't understand my giant, John. It's bigger than that. I want you to know that God has proven over and over and over again that he's bigger. Finally, here's what I want to do today, and here's what I hope you get. Band, you guys can start coming up this direction. 
want you to hear this this morning. If you, if you focus on your giant, which many of you are doing, let's just be honest, this is the easy thing to do. You focused on a death in the family. You focus on an addiction. You focus on a job loss. You focus on a financial problem. You focus on a specific issue. You focus on a thing in your life. If you focus on the giant in your life, if David had walked out and said, holy cow, look how big that dude is, this battle would have gone totally different and it will for you too. This is the way you remember this story. Focus on giants, you stumble. Focus on God, your giants tumble. That's cheesy. You focus on giants. <laughs> I love that girl. You focus on giants this morning. You can't win. I don't care how big, how tough, how strong, how good you think you are, you can't win. Focus on God. You let him go before you. You make him the point of your battle. You say at the end, God, when, when I win this, the glory will be yours. It'll be you that won the battle. Now you've got perspective. Okay, finally, and then I'm going to shut up. Here it is. The God who made a miracle of David. This is a miracle. There's, a, there's no other way to say this. David wasn't good. He wasn't smart. He wasn't tall. He wasn't. This is a miracle. The God who made a miracle out of David is ready to make one out of you today. There is nothing that God loves better. And the closer I get to God, I'm trying. The closer I get to God in this preacher thing and and just life in general, there's nothing I love better than watching the head get lopped off of someone's giant. It's a victory. Today, I'm hoping that you take a step towards your giant. I don't know what it is. Some of you did, I do. I'm just waiting for you. I'm going to ask you today if you would say, God, what's my next step? What, what do you have for me? That's all you need to say today. God, what's my next step? God, I want to make a plan. I'm going to stand up in a second. I'm going to, actually, I'm going to stand, stay down here today. I'm going to be right down in here. I'll be glad to pray with you. Be, I'll be sticking around after church a little bit, pray with you then too. Today, if today's your day to step towards your giant, come up, I'll be glad to pray with you, but you can do it right where you are. Just ask God, what's the next step? Just stand with us and sing this morning.